I'm Holly Charlebois, and I'm the Bowmanville and Online Site Pastor. You're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's jump into our sermon this week. Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us today. And as many of you probably know, we're taking just a small pause in our series out of Romans. We're going to get to that again next week. Uh, We've just been taking three weeks to ask the question, how are we going to rebuild Sanctus Church after the last two and a half, maybe three plus years? Now, three weeks ago, we talked about Alpha and evangelism and why actually we still need to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we took some time to talk about the role of Thanksgiving. This comes up again and again. No Thanksgiving, no rebuilding. We talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. And we also were just very candid, almost like a family chat, about our need for financial generosity in rebuilding of holy things in these difficult times. We spent the time out of Haggai, if you were with us, and it was an amazing story because they were rebuilding a new temple and And yet the story was fraught with difficulty because there was one group of people that remembered what the old temple looked like and they were weeping and so upset. And then there's a whole new group of people who thought the new temple was incredible. And and I said, that is exactly what we're facing as a church in this moment of rebuilding. But again, what the Holy Spirit was reminding us is that those who wept and those who were joyful still came together to build the new chapter, the new house, the new thing. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about and hopefully understand and then begin to act upon the role of joy in repairing, the role of joy in rebuilding, the role of joy connected to sacrificial service. Now, if there's one place that ties joy and suffering and hope and serving and rebuilding and resurrection all together, it's in one little book called Philippians. Now, before we get to all of that, we just need to stop and clarify something, ask an important question. What does joy even mean? Because in our culture, people, when they hear joy, they think happiness. And happiness in the sense that I'm always happy all the time. But actually, that's not what even joy is. So let's look at joy from a biblical place. And here's one biblical definition from a dictionary. But I think it's going to be quite telling. It starts like this. Joy is the happy state that results from knowing God and serving God. What have you defined joy that way? Not happy, I'm always excited all the time, but like this deep knowing God. And also it's connected to serving God. And then it continues. A number of Greek and Hebrew words are used in the Bible to convey the idea of joy and rejoicing. We have the same thing in English. You've got joy, pleasure, delight, gladment, merriment, felicity, enjoyment. Now in the Bible, you've got joy, joyful, joyous. That's 200 times in the Bible. And if you go to the verb form of it, the thing like go do some joy, some rejoicing, it's another 200 times. So 400 accounts of joy in the Bible. In other words, the Bible is full of joy. That's why C.S. Lewis brilliantly said, joy is the serious business of heaven. It was uh, D.L. Moody, the very famous evangelist who lived during and just after the Civil War in the United States, that I think said one of the most profound things about joy. He said, joy flows right through trouble, and joy flows right through the dark, and joy flows in the night as well as the day, and joy flows through persecution, and joy flows even in opposition. See, that's not what the modern definition of happiness is. Now, what's even more striking, more insightful, more interesting is Paul 
is in a Roman jail under house arrest, writing to a local church in a city called Philippi that was born during serious persecution. Paul's now quite old, he's nearing the end of his life, and the church that he's writing to is still being attacked for being Christians. And Paul is in jail, and Paul writes his strongest letter on joy in the middle of jail to people who are losing their lives and losing their jobs. What? See, here's what we begin to see. This is why this conversation matters in rebuilding. Uh, I think we all know this sort of instinctually. The stronger the pressure from the outside, the easier it is to turn on each other on the inside because the pressure is so strong. And when we turn on each other on the inside, that will kill momentum and rebuilding. Internal unity is always stretched when external pressure grows more and more. And that's what Paul's talking about. And this is what we sure need to talk about. Now, if you read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 of Philippians, and also even other letters of Paul, this is what he says to everyday struggling, everyday Christians. He said, look, the Lord is near, God is sovereign, and God is merciful. The world belongs to God, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is the true Lord. Jesus has saved us. We actually have His Holy Spirit. That Spirit gives us a worldview and experiences that are not natural. The Holy Spirit promises us promises us joy in suffering, promises us joy in boring times, good times, bad times, and beautiful times. And then he's about to say, and has already said, our unity between each other is not because we attend one local church. Our unity with each other is not because we belong to one ethnic group or one tradition. Our unity is because we're actually both in Jesus. Now, he has reminded us time and time again also that Jesus is coming back. He's going to make everything right. He's going to bring healing. Death is going to disappear. And all the justice that has not been realized or has been denied will be realized. Now, time and time again, Paul wrote in in this letter, as you're waiting for Jesus, all this amazing theology I've been teaching you, that's all this incredible truth, it still has to be worked out in everyday life down here. Here's some of the incredible things he's already said in the book of Philippians. Philippians 1.27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, even more revolutionary is found in Philippians 2 1. Therefore, if you have any, uh, if you have any encouragement from being united in Jesus, the Messiah, if you have any comfort from His love, if you have any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness or even compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Paul said, and of course the Holy Spirit says to us, because our future is certain, because of what Jesus has already done in our life, because we have the Holy Spirit, we can live a joy-filled Christian life in the middle of good times, bad times, boring times, suffering times, amazing times, and rebuilding times. So at this point in the letter, Paul now says, let's actually work this out on the ground. How? And Paul says, oh, there are always two ways that joy shows up as it's being worked out on the ground. One of them is in relationships between Christians. The other one is ongoing, tenacious serving. What an incredible part of Scripture 
that we need to hear at Sanctus Church in this rebuilding moment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I, I long for, my, my, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul, again, as he always does, starts with love. To you all who I love. <laughs> and this really struck me. Paul loved these people. I mean, he really loved them. He didn't know all of them. He wouldn't even, I don't even think he knew all of them by name. He couldn't be that small he pastor to everyone, but deep down, he loved them. Hey, if you're an elder in our church, or you're a pastor on staff like I am, or, or you're a staff member, or you're a key leader, in this moment, after the last two and a half or three years, can we still, in this rebuilding moment, say we love the people God has put beside us, above us, below us? around us? And of course, if we're all being honest, we'd say, well, yes, sometimes, and other times, no, and some, sometimes it's sometimes, and sometimes it's maybe. But what we see here is he says, look, I love you. And in this rebuilding moment, one of the great prayers we all need to have is, Jesus, give me a love for those people and give them a love for me. Hmm. Paul, out of this God-inspired love, always wants theology to have legs. He wants to take all this capital T truth, all this profound orthodox teaching, and now says we've got to move to what they call orthopraxy, on the ground, everyday life. Heaven always needs to come down to earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just cannot hear, we must do. So Paul, what he does next, is needed in any season, but especially in these rebuilding times. Now to the point. Paul calls out two leaders in this church from 2,000 years ago. Never forget that in ancient times, when a letter was sent, it wouldn't be personally read. There was no study Bible. It was read to the whole community. And so church would assemble and people would listen. And Paul calls out two women by name, and they would have heard it in public, by name, in the moment. Now, now please, don't misunderstand this. These women are not bad. They're long-term friends. They're actually very important to the local church but some things have gone wrong. So this is what Paul says. I, I plead with Judea, and I plead with Syneche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, uh, these names in Greek mean success and lucky. Their names connected to the goddess of fortune. So here's the amazing thing. Both these ladies used to be pagans. They both actually didn't grow up in Christian homes. They were not followers of Jesus. They gave up their pagan ways. They'd become followers of Jesus. And as we're going to see, they'd become contenders for the gospel and Christian leaders. But now, years later, as the pressure's growing, for some reason, they're fighting each other. Paul doesn't take sides. He wants to maintain this long-term friendship with both. You notice he says, I plead with you, and I plead with you. He addresses these women equally, and he actually reminds them of something. He's like, you're in the Lord. Ladies, you're both Christians. You're both loved by Jesus. You're both in Jesus. That's where your unity is. One observed it like this. Those that live in the sphere of Christ's lordship are more equipped to overcome circumstances that would dishearten unbelievers and disrupt or break friendships. So he says in verse 3, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul asks for a friend to mediate this disagreement or this fight. We're not told who it is. Most people think it's Luke who wrote Luke and Acts. But I want you just to see that phrase. Just keep that, uh, put that verse back up for a moment. You see it? He calls these women co-workers. Now, this is not just 
um, a job description or just a simple description. This is actually a formal title. Priscilla and Aquila, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Mark, Luke, and Clement also are given this title. See, this implies that these ladies aren't just influencers in the church. They had formal leadership positions in the church. They have a public role in the church, and that is why actually Paul is dealing with this publicly. And at the heart of this is one thing, the cause of the gospel. Oh, unity of this local church is very serious and is at stake during a pressurous time. But Paul's greater concern out of the unity is the message of Jesus going out into Philippi, into the city. If Christians are turning to each other and going at each other, it would damage the good news and its ability to keep going out. So they're both leaders. Notice the description. They're both leaders. They're both in the Lord. They, their names are in the book of life. They're eternally secure. They're going to be with each other forever. They're saved. They're in good standing with God through Jesus. They're God's people. And Paul says, I want restoration, not discipline. I want grace, not force. And there's common ground. And he says this again. And Sanctus, lean in. <laughs> their common ground between each other was not they belonged to a local church. It was not church membership. It wasn't that they were friends of Paul. It wasn't about their spiritual gifts. It wasn't their history. It wasn't their conversion. It wasn't their personal story. It wasn't logic. Their unity was in someone else, Jesus. Please work this fight out because of Jesus. Paul's like, okay, now I've brought up that elephant in the room. Let's talk about everybody. So he speaks to the whole church community. He says in verse 4, this is a very famous verse. People love, again, putting this one on Instagram too. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The, rejoice is the word, uh, you know, be joyful. <laughs> so be joyful in the Lord. I, again, I say it. Be joyful. Get your joy on. Now, this is really important. This is a stirring call to be joyful. It's a command, weirdly enough, to be joyful. Uh, it was Augustine that once wrote, the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Dear Christian, during, during times of disunity, during times of persecution, during amazing times and bad times, during resurrection times and death times, during rebuilding times, choose joy. Okay, what is joy again? Let's just make, make sure we get this. I love how someone else summarized this. Paul, the theologian of grace, also should be called the theologian of joy. And he writes, look, Christian joy is not the temporal kind that comes and goes with circumstances. I'm happy because things are great. I'm really sad because things are bad. No, 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 that's not, that's not biblical joy. It is predicated altogether on one's relationship with Jesus. It finds its expression in rejoicing, which is not a Christian option. It's an imperative. It's a command. So the path to joy, wildly enough, is found in obedience. And Paul says, do it. Rejoice. The spirit of celebration will never be around unless we as Christians actually still trust God. What he's done, what he's going to do, what he is doing. If we ever stop, I, I just saw this in so many people's uh, faith journeys that were wrecked during COVID. If we ever stop trusting that God is good, joy disappears. If we ever stop believing that God is in control, joy disappears. If we stop believing God is holy or love, joy will disappear. We'll never be able to rejoice about seen or unseen things, expected or unexpected things, if we stop thinking that God is these things. 
Lots of worship songs these days uh, say, you know, uh, worship is my spiritual weapon. This is how I fight my battles. All true. Uh, worship actually is a weapon. But joy is a spiritual weapon that is rarely used in very few environments. Paul says rejoice. Have joy by knowing God and serving him. Oh, and then Paul goes a little farther. He says in verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Jesus is near. Now, gentleness here has a very specific understanding. It's do not retaliate. Someone's got to listen to this. Do not retaliate. Uh, Peter wrote about how Jesus didn't retaliate in 1 Peter 2.23. It's an amazing summary. When they hurled uh, their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This no retaliation, this trusting of God's justice is to be expressed, he says, to everyone. Let's be ready to forgive and not retaliate against those who are in Jesus, fellow Christians. And also, let's be prepared not to retaliate, right? And and not take out people who are not Christians, even if they mistreat us for being Christians. Well, how in the world do you do that? I mean, it's not natural for me. I don't know about you. Well, Jesus is near. This truth is the ground for what Paul has just said and is going to say. We are gentle and we are meek because Jesus is coming back. We overcome fear because Jesus is coming back. We love those that hate us and mistreat us because Jesus is coming back. We choose to forgive Christians that have slandered us, hurt us, or whatever, because Jesus is coming back. And we also do this because we know we ourselves are going to give an account. He's going to come back and deal with all those who've mistreated us, and he's going to come back and make everything right. If you do not live with the idea that Jesus is returning, you'll never be gentle. Well, we're all like, I don't know. How do I do this? It's hard. It's not natural. It's not real to me. How do, I, how do I not only forgive people in church, but try to reconcile? How do I love those people who don't love Jesus, who mock me, even attack me because of Jesus? Simple. How do I love people inside and outside of the church? Oh, by the way, when things are difficult and we're rebuilding? Well, the answer, the beginning of the journey is not where most of us would start. It actually starts in a weird place. Prayer. The encountering of the living God through our simple conversations with him. Oh, and here's a real famous verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, anxiety can be expressed, one person said, in sort of four simple ways. Worry. Something might happen or might not happen, and I'm worried about it. Then there's stress. I can't control this situation. And when you can't control something, you get stressed out. Then there's this thing called fear. The uneasiness, one person writes, over possible danger, evil, or pain. And then darkness is fear experienced when darkness, evil, or pain touches your life. And remember, this is really profound. Paul's writing to people who are under real persecution. These people got beat up for being Christians. Some of them have lost their jobs because of their Christians. Some of them have been in jail maybe because they're Christians. Maybe some of them are, are going to be murdered because they're Christians. Many of them have lost family and friends because of this. This idea, by the way, of, of you know, don't be anxious is also the same word that Matthew and Luke record when Jesus taught the twelve, don't worry what you're going to say when you face kings and governors and religious councils. Don't worry, I've got you. Another person wrote, since their present suffering is in the hand of those who proclaim Caesar as Lord, they are reminded the true Lord is coming back and he is near. So since Jesus is near and he's coming back, 
we get to thank God that we suffer as Jesus did, but we also get to bring our anxiety and our mistreatment to God through prayer. Now, he says you need to petition and be involved in thanksgiving. Petition is when you ask God into a situation. It's asking God for things, and it's asking God's will into things. Pray about everything, he says. And I love what Spurgeon, the really famous Baptist preacher from the Victorian area in Britain, said, whether, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. It's funny, especially we who come from more conservative backgrounds in the church, we just don't ask enough. So he says, number one, if you want to deal with worry, stress, fear, and darkness, talk to Jesus about everything, everything. But not only that, thanksgiving. Oh man, this is like week five this has come up for us, I think. People that are thankful find joy. And what is the thanksgiving for a Christian like? It's not just, oh God, thanks for my meal, though that's good. It's recalling God's mercy in the past. It's recalling his love in the past. It's recalling what he's done in your life, in your family's life, in this church's life. And you're like, I know who God is, so I still know he has not changed. And that's what turns into joy. It's thanking God for his faithfulness. It's thanking God for his protection. It's thanking God for his benefits. And most importantly, it is thanking God for the crystal clear, certain future of the resurrection that we know Jesus is going to make everything right. So a believer should pray. Paul says about every circumstance. And then you should also tie that with thanksgiving, because like we keep saying, no thanksgiving, no rebuilding. And then the peace of God, verse 7, which transcends, which passes through all your understanding, that goes beyond your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not talking about peace we get between us and God, right standing, legal standing, justification. This is saying in the middle of life, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of good times, in the middle of bad times, in the middle of rebuilding, in the middle of persecution, if we present our petitions to God with thanksgiving, there will be a peace that does not make sense that will guard our hearts. And remember, peace and joy doesn't mean I feel happy. But it is real. So Paul says, hey, listen, work out your internal battles with each other because of Jesus' work in you. Oh, be gentle to those who attack you because of Jesus' gentleness towards you. Don't be consumed by fear or worry or anxiety or darkness because of Jesus' work in you. And just stop and then look up and around. And then he says this. I love this. I want you to see God and his beauty even in the middle of broken times. All around you, there are echoes of Eden. All around you, there are signs of the new heavens and the new earth. If you slow down to see them. So this is why he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Don't doomsday scroll. Don't escape online. Don't fill your mind with all the political hate you see online. Don't get involved in all the conspiracy theories. Don't go online and look at all that sexual garbage. Don't, don't DM each other back and forth with all the God. Don't, no, 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 no. You want joy? You want peace? Oh, okay, number one, <laughs> fill your mind with truth. And by the way, in this case, when Paul means truth, he means the scriptures, God's word, the revelation of who God is. Fill your mind with truth. Also, fill your mind with things that are noble and, and, and right and pure. These all relate to the word of God. It's what's moral. It's what is God-given. 
His life-giving lungs. The longer you live as a Christian, the more you will begin to love Scripture and see that what God says is wrong is wrong, what God says is right is right, and it is life-giving. And not only that, when you think about God himself and think and meditate on him, oh my goodness, he is beautiful beyond belief. Even even thinking about who he is is joy-giving. But Paul goes way farther. And by the way, I really would love your attention at this moment. He wants us to see the world through God's eyes. That's why he says lovely and admirable. And we probably miss this in English. This is what theologians call common grace. This is actually seeing God's fingerprints that are still in creation. Yes, we're in a fallen world. Yeah, it's pretty screwed up. But we're not utterly evil. Much in nature, much of what we see in our friends who don't know Jesus, within culture, art, literature, not all of it is evil. Yes, some of it is. But lots of stuff out there is excellent and praiseworthy. See, what Paul is teaching, and oh, have we missed this, a lot of us as Christians in the last three years. Paul is teaching the church is as things get darker, as things get more difficult, don't run away. Don't only see evil. Don't retreat into some anti-intellectual stance. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing good outside of the church. No, no, there's so much good. It might be not salvation-based, but there's good. Here's how one person put it. It's really good. Paul knows that since the Philippians are being persecuted by family and society around them, they will be tempted to reject everything outside of the church as tainted with evil. If so, then this list, with its admonition to look for virtue in the wider world, reminds the Philippians that although society sometimes is hostile and evil, it's still part of God's world and contains much good that believers can affirm. Paul's like, if you want to have joy, not only think on God and His Word... Start asking the Holy Spirit to show you where God's at work and where his fingerprints still are everywhere around you outside of the church. Then he says, hey, listen, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, I want you to now put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Go back and read and listen and basically says, would you imitate my life? Because obedience is connected to peace. Now, Have you thought about Paul's life? He says, I want you to imitate my life. Okay, well, let me read the summary of Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Buckle up. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night night and a day on the open sea, I've been consistently on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my fellow Jews, danger from non-Jews, danger in the city, danger in the country. It's starting to sound like a country song. Danger at sea, danger from from false believers, false Christians. I've labored and I've toiled. I've gone without sleep. I know hunger and thirst. I've sometimes gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside all of that, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak? And do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin? And do I not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of things that show my weakness. (laughs) Now, Paul is not saying to the flipping community or to us, oh, you have to imitate literally all of this. But what you see at the heart of Paul's life is not only petition and thanksgiving and joy, It's deep, sacrificial service to the things of God, to the local church, to the things that ripple into eternity. He says, you make sure 
good times, bad times, rebuilding time. You make sure that sacrificial serving is at the core of who you are and where you're at. Okay, so in this rebuilding time, after the last now probably three years, as we're trying to rebuild, what are the scriptures saying, but what is God uniquely saying to us? Well, number one, choose joy because it's promised. Let me say this again. Take time. This is like the fourth time I think this has come up in the last five weeks. Take time to be thankful. To think about all the things God has given you, all the things God has done in your life, your salvation, all of them. Remind yourself and be thankful for not only what God has done in your life, be thankful for who He is. Because again, if a church is not rooted in intentional thankfulness, it can never rebuild. Thankfulness is the gas to rebuild. Joy comes with thankfulness. Choose joy because it's promised in His Word. Think on His Word, God's laws, His beauty. And like I already said, but I want to say this again. You want to do something profound this week? You want to see joy come back into your Christian life again? Okay. When you're walking and doing life, whether you're at the office or at home or wherever you are, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the goodness that's still left in creation, in your neighbor, in your friend, in the forest, in birds, in the tree. Like just say, I know that saves you, but just say, God, show me where there's good in the world. And also... Take some time to think about Jesus coming back. I mean, this is so incredibly important. If you choose not to live with what they call imminency, like his coming soon, you'll never have joy because the the daily pressures of life will seem bigger than his return. But if you remind yourself every day, Jesus is going to come back and make all things right, it is the difference maker. It is the joy giver. Choose joy because it's promised. Number two, choose joy. Joyful unity. I love this little line. Easily said, very hard to do. He says, the concept of Christian unity has to be worked out one fight at a time. Hmm. Uh, There was a famous Puritan pastor named Thomas Brooks, and he penned this years ago. He said, for wolves to worry lambs is is no wonder. But for lambs to worry other lambs, this is unnatural, and it's actually monstrous. Many of us, in regular times, but especially over the last three years, have been involved in or seen infighting, angry words, presumptions of motive, lack of submission to leaders, verbal misrepresentation, the choosing of sides, filling in ideas without doing fact-checking, childlike fights in church, the list goes on and on. So here's a question another person wrote. Is there someone you continue to blame for the hurt you have endured bringing pain, that continues to bring you pain, that has never got reconciled? If so, do you have any idea how much emotional energy you're burning up, nursing that wound? And while I'm asking these questions, he writes, are you aware of the joy-stealing effect of an unforgiving spirit is having in your life? If your bitterness is deep enough, you're virtually, if your bitterness is deep enough, you will virtually stop living. It's no wonder you've also stopped laughing. Paul, in the last chapter, said this in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do do, I forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. 
That's not saying that we don't resolve our past or talk about our past or ignore it. That's not what we're saying. But your past and the woundedness of your past and actually even the past of this church cannot be your master. Jesus promises joy and freedom. He wants you to forgive. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be gentle. He wants his church not to be involved at all in retaliation at all. And he is inviting our church to rebuild, which means that we try grappling with our past, but we do not live there and we move forward. Do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to actually put them over into the hands of God and say, God, your judgment and justice is better than mine? Maybe someone just needs to be free to forgive. And as a church, we need to say, thank you for our history. But actually, forward we go. Uh, If we're going to continue in this moment, we also need to choose joy through prayer. You know, the word worry in English comes from an old English word meaning to strangle or choke someone. Paul says, instead of choking yourself to death, pray. See the future clearly. Be thankful and pray about everything, whether you think it's working or not. Pray about your kids, your cousins, pray about your work, pray about your mental health, pray about, just pray about everything, your food, your home, like just pray about everything. Pray in detail about everything. Invite God into everything. He wants, it's so important. Peace is connected to the transformative presence of God. And prayer is a guaranteed place of encounter where when we petition and thank him, we encounter him. So choose joy because it's guaranteed. Choose Christian unity, forgiveness, and non-retaliation. Choose prayer, which produces joy. And then lastly, Paul says, and I'm just going to do it here, choose radical, sacrificial, joyful service. Last week, we sat together as a family and unashamedly talked about finances. That we are all going to have to raise up and give again, either for the first time or all over again, to do this great rebuilding moment. We're going to have to be generous in our sacrificial giving. And so now I'm going to say, if we're going to rebuild, if we're going to continue to move forward as Sanctus Church in this sort of post-COVID weird moment, not only must we become radical in our giving again, we actually have to be radical in our sacrifice again. So here again are just the simple stats. I mean, here they are. Overall, at this moment, because we did the run uh, of the stats, we have a 57% shortfall on volunteer teams right now. So real numbers. This means this isn't where it's working right now. As as people are slowly coming back, as we're trying to rebuild, we have 307 307 people serving at Sanctus. We need a minimum of 700 to actually do what we're called to do in this rebuilding moment. We're not even talking about vision and new sight. We're not even there. We're just to rebuild what we have, 700 people. Put it differently, we're only at 43% of what we need. Children, youth, alpha, worship, local, global stuff, connect groups, releasing prayer, uh, you know, hospitality, prayer teams, like all of it. There is no way we can rebuild the house unless the Holy Spirit shows up. There's no way we can rebuild the house unless we all choose to start giving something and doing it generously and joyfully. There's no way we can rebuild the house unless there's joy, there's non-retaliation, and there's prayer. And there's no way we can rebuild this house unless we choose to joyfully serve and serve intentionally. So here's what we're going to do. Right now, if you're at a physical location, around you will be little cards. And on those cards, it's a serving card. 
There's a little QR code. You can use your phone. If you don't have a cell phone, you can go to any desk at any site and say, I need to talk about where with my gifts and my background, I can start serving consistently and regularly. So many of you used to serve pre-COVID and you just aren't serving yet. Many of you have joined our church since COVID and you're not serving yet. We need to rally to actually do this. And why does this matter? Because, because A, it's how we worship God. B, it's how we imitate Paul and others. But remember the effects. No, no kid's classroom should be ever shut down because of lack of volunteers. Those kids are hearing about Jesus. I mean, we're giving the gospel out to the next generation. Or we would never want to shut down an alpha because there's not enough volunteers. Or we'd never want to not see someone free because there aren't volunteers in releasing prayer. We'd never want someone not to be greeted at any one of our sites. Like, this is about the kingdom. This is about the gospel. This is about people encountering Jesus. This is about us using our spiritual gifts. This is about serving and imitating Christ, Paul, and others. So I'm going to invite you. I'm going to call you uh, at the end of this service and over the week. And by the way, if you're watching online, you of course don't have a card. You can just reach out online very easily through Instagram or email us through the website and say, how do I serve virtually or physically? How do I do this? And we will help you. This is a radical call for joy. To choose joy, to choose unity, to, call, to choose prayer and joy, and to start serving in a way that we haven't seen in three years. This is how we're going to rebuild this church. And by the way, this is how every church is going to have to rebuild in these difficult moments. So let's just pray this. God, thanks for this moment. Thanks for your word. Thanks that joy is not just temporal. It's not based on whether how I'm feeling. It's deeper than that. So we pray, would you give this church joy again? Uh, would, you, would you lead people to unity again? Would you set people free from retaliation in our church? Would gentleness grow in our church? Would the prayer life of our church grow? Even when we think it's boring, it's not working, grow the prayer life of this church because prayer is connected to joy. And lastly, I'm asking, uh, out of last week's passage, even too, out of Haggai, Holy Spirit be sent to stir up all those who call Sanctus Church their home, to start serving in a very direct, radical, and generous way. Could, I'm just asking for a massive shift to take place in the next month. In Jesus' name. We all sit together. Uh, amen. Take some time with your connect group. Talk this through. Pray this through. Can't wait to see how you begin to serve. And the next week, we're back to Romans. Rebuilding that Christian worldview and wrestling it down. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. You'll find more ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you heard, be sure to hit the follow button and be notified when another episode releases. Thanks so much for tuning in. God bless you.